May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, just yesterday I heard for the first time this year a sound that never ceases to thrill me. It is a sound that truly signals fall, at least in New England, geese flying overhead with that sporadic honking. I heard it before sunrise, so they may have been flying as Julie Andrews sings in The Sound of Music with the moon on their wings. Geese take on the V formation, just like fighter pilots do, for conservation of energy. Although, in the case of geese, it is even more complicated to benefit from the draft of the bird in front, because the wind currents of the birds that they create are affected by the rhythm of the flapping of their wings. So, not only do the birds behind have to judge the distance and uh, position, which is a little above and to the side, uh, they have to modify the motion of their wings. It's such a beautiful picture of unity. Now, of course, geese only look unified when they are in motion. There is nothing particularly unified or inspirational about a bunch of geese that have landed in a field. But once they take flight, they focus all their energy on motion and direction of the goose ahead, and we see that beautiful formation that enables them to travel for hundreds of miles. Unity, at the very least, is a strategy for survival. But for Christians, it is much more than that. When Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, he is deeply concerned about unity, not only because it is useful, but because it is essential. And when we get to the end of the letter, the portion that we just read, we understand why he has decided to teach about unity. There has been an argument You can look it up in your leaflet. If you're at home, the passage is from Philippians 4. Poor Euodia and Syntyche, those two quarreling ladies, deeply committed to the gospel, but caught up in some extended argument. Can you imagine what it would have felt like to be one of them sitting in church on a Sunday morning? all excited because one of the deacons will be reading the latest letter from Paul himself, who you know personally and had worked alongside in preaching the gospel in the early stages. You've settled in. But midway through the letter, the pit of your stomach begins to turn a bit because of all this talk about humility and treating others as more important than ourselves. He couldn't be talking about me. And then, boom, there you are in the middle of Paul's letter from prison in Rome. I entreat you, Euodia, and I entreat you, Syntyche, to 
talk about mortifying, and yet ever so important. Paul correctly surmised from what he had heard from Epaphroditus that this quarrel was deeply important to address directly, not just because it was causing unhappiness and no doubt draining energy from the little church in Philippi, but because unity is the essence of the church itself. Unity is what Jesus died to bring. Paul wanted to show this little congregation how to reconfigure themselves as geese in flight rather than geese in a field. The first section of the letter that begins to unpack what unity really is is in chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and they're all, they're all listening and they're saying, yes, of course, yes, we love each other, yes, we have sympathy, yes, we experience that. We're on board, Paul. Then he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So what is he really saying here? Paul is not imagining that the Philippians will all share the same opinions, that they would all naturally pick out the same shade of ancient Greek dove gray to paint the sanctuary, or that they will all understand in exactly the same way how the bread Jesus blessed and broke was truly his body. And there is nothing necessarily good about people thinking exactly alike. Think of the results of the Nazi party or of slave traders who decided that it was all right to sell black people. When Paul speaks of being of the same mind, he's being much more specific. He is talking about having the same mind as Christ, which Paul defines as one that does nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counts others more significant than oneself. It is not opinions that will unify. Thanks be to God. It is an attitude like Christ that will unify. Paul goes on. He makes the point that having this sort of attitude that truly considers the other person as more important than oneself, really, that is a source of Christian unity. And it is exactly what Jesus demonstrates when he leaves the comfort of heaven, becomes a person, and humbles himself to the point of death on a cross. Jesus is saying, in effect, today, your life is more important to me than my life. I will give my life for yours. It's so colossal, I almost need to appreciate it to approach it from lesser acts 
to sort of work up to it. I start small. It is permitting the red Honda that has just bypassed all the obediently lined up cars to sneak in ahead of you. It is allowing your close relative to expound on opinions that are in direct opposition to yours and listening and maybe not even challenging. It is losing graciously. I do sometimes worry that we so hard try to teach our children how to win that we forget to teach them how to lose, which, of course, is much harder and more important. It is not having the last word. This kind of attitude is so unnatural, countercultural, and it was just as countercultural in Jesus' day. The epitome of leadership in Jesus' time would have been Alexander the Great, a man who conquered most of the ancient world by the time he was 33. He suggested, naturally, that he be honored as a divinity. His military might looked like leadership. He looked like a god. He appeared to have accomplished unity. But that is not at all what Paul points to as true divinity or as the true source of unity. Paul is reminding the Philippians of what Jesus said. World rulers lord it over their subjects. But it mustn't be that way with you. With you, the ruler must be the servant because the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. So Paul is pointing out to the Philippians that unity can only happen when members put aside self-importance and serve one another. But that is not all. He is also saying that while their unity does not consist of having the same opinions, thanks be to God, it is more than just an attitude. Christian unity hangs on a common history. Christian unity derives from the historic activity and life of Jesus. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael Ramsey, puts it this way. Christians will not interpret aright their present union with him, that is Jesus, unless they constantly look back to the events whence it has sprung and remember that these events wrought once for all, are the source of everything that Christians are and have and know. In other words, we can be tempted to think, oh, well, my personal relationship with Jesus now, the spirit of Jesus, we're really, we're really on it together and we have unity and that gives me this attitude of loving unity with all you guys. And, uh, and Ramsey is saying, no, that's not sufficient. We need to have union with the Jesus who died on a cross and was raised from the dead by his heavenly Father. That is the true source of our unity. Ramsey stresses, as does Paul himself, that Christian unity is not just an attitude. 
It originates in a life. And furthermore, that life engendered unity through humility and sacrificial love. Ramsey continues to say that to believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church is to die to self. Our pattern of unity is established in Jesus, the one who gave his life for ours. Well, what does that mean for us now, here at St. George's? Well, many things, but in particular, we are entering deeper into an election season, a deeply contentious one. How do Paul's words speak into our life at St. George's Church today? I hope and expect we will all vote, all who are uh, of age to vote, but we will not all vote in the same way. How will we continue to be geese in flight rather than geese in a field, especially if the outcome is not clear? How will we embody the unity that Paul so fervently defends? Well, we remember that our opinions can and will differ, but we put on the attitude of Christ which is to view one another as more important than ourselves. And I'm preaching to myself here, by the way. And then we recollect together the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We do that weekly through the celebration of the Eucharist. And I really do commend that to you, if you possibly can. Come weekly and participate in the Eucharist as a way of defending the unity of the church. I know that there are many of our beloved who cannot come and receive the Eucharist. It would be reckless and irresponsible. But all those who can do it on the part of those who can't you can actually bring those that you know would normally be sitting beside you in your heart, and as you receive, bring that person. God can figure that out. Bring that person to the table that proclaims our unity because we cannot underestimate the power of the sacrament of the Eucharist to proclaim the unity of the body of Christ. And so, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.